VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we have a show of two halves. Two games of the season, both packed with incidents, bonkers tactics and that dreaded VAR. And joining me, Tom Clark, to debate all of that and who knows, maybe have a little falling out here and there. Making the case for the defence, we have a former left-back and centre-half who made more than 300 appearances for six clubs in the Football League, Gregor Robertson. Leading the Strikers' Union, we've got a former towering centre-forward who scored 248 goals for seven clubs across England, Scotland and France, Tony Cascarino. And knitting it all together with the usual sophistication and nuance, and maybe stirring things up a little bit too, we've got the chief correspondent for the Times and Sunday Times, Martin Samuel. Gents, what a week, Tone. I saw you muttering to Gregor there. Did I get your stats wrong? Was it more than that? No, you just left my international goals out. Oh, yeah, but, <laughs> I still still seven, Tom. but I didn't want to make Gregor feel bad. You know, he's only got those under-21 <laughs> caps, you I know, see. but you're just... making me feel bad, so that's OK. Uh, so go on, how many was it? For... 267 in total. 267, right, yeah. sorry. We'll get it right on the next show. But anyway, uh, we've got loads to discuss, and not just Tony Cascarino's <laughs> stats from his career. What a week. And as I say, we're only going to keep it to two games, and I bet we'll overrun even then. We're going to start in Copenhagen and that crazy match. And I think we have to start, before we get into the football, before we get into all the seven goals and the incidents and things, we have to start with Marcus Rashford's red card. Because I felt, I was editing last night um, on the Times Sports Desk and I felt like the match all flowed from that moment, really. All the incidents kind of stemmed from there. United had been playing quite well until that point. So I'm going to start with the Rashford red card. Red card, and I'm going to start with the Strikers Union, Tony Cascarino. Red card or not? Well, if you want to freeze frame it, yeah. If you want to take it in normal time, no. Um, hated it as a decision. Got red carded nine times in my career and I keep thinking, how many would I get today? Probably double. And Greg is a centre-half left back. I don't know how many times you got red carded, but... Less than that, I two. think. Two. Well, OK. Well, He was nicer than you, I think. He was a Gary Lineker <laughs> type of defender, wasn't he? <laughs> uh, um, I, I can't get in my head how... You can quite clearly see, and I know it's been said already, that you know he's got his back to the play when he makes a challenge and he connects with the ankle and he could have caused serious damage. I just have a real issue around red cards. Uh, uh, basically, we've sanitised them. We've just made them... That any referee, a little bit of a challenge that you feel... It is a little bit reckless, but is it to the point of, well, these got to go? And I'm like, I, I just don't know where you go with this because... I keep thinking of 10 years down the line. Well, what's red cards going to be in 10 years' t- time if if we're at that stage now that nearly every game is having a sending off? I, that's my big fear, is that it will get worse. Case for the defence, Gregor Robertson? No, I'm a, I'm a Tony. I didn't like it. Um, I think it just shows that whatever, however referees and officials 
want to uh, officiate by the letter of the law, there has to still be some room for like what the player's intent was. I know that that's almost irrelevant now. It's like it doesn't matter, but. That was a kind of glaring example of it. It does matter. He wasn't looking in that direction. He was trying to shield the ball. There was no malice whatsoever. It wasn't even a tackle. It was. It was like, as I say, it was. A, it was the kind of action where you're shielding rather than actually trying to win the ball back. It's getting your body in between you. You know, between the ball and your opponent. So just and and again, as Tony said, the fact that no one saw it. It's just this whole idea that seems to be growing and growing recently about we're re-refereeing moments in games and that things can look very different uh, on a TV screen when it's particularly when the referee walks up to it and the first thing he sees is that as his stud planted on his ankle Martin yeah look I think what will happen when when we're talking about where will the game be in 10 years time it goes one of two ways doesn't it Uh, and one of the ways I suppose it could go is that there will be a generation of footballers that don't shield the ball like that anymore. Now, you can argue, we were talking earlier, Gregor and I, and, and, and Zinedine Zidane shielded the ball like that all the time, planted his foot on the other side and, 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 and shaped his body, and it was it was one of his great, uh, one of his trademarks as a, as a footballer. Um, and it's, it's, in many ways, it's like rugby. You, you know, we've just had a rugby World Cup, um, people who've played rugby all their lives are looking at it saying the game's gone mad you can't do this you can't do that it's obviously accidental this wasn't meant this wasn't meant and then people who are in charge of the rules say yes but you know that doesn't count anymore we're trying to make the game safer we're trying to make the game this and that and so it goes one of two ways it goes to this way where every game ends up eight aside by the end or we produce a generation of footballers that changed the way that they play, that changed the way that, that football is played to avoid instances like that. I'm the same as the guys. I'm looking at that and thinking, well, five years ago, that is, it's not a red card offence. It's just an, it's just a football incident. It's an accidental thing that happens. I'm not even sure it's a booking. It's just regarded as a, a, a as an accident and, and something that can happen in a contact sport if you're trying to shield the ball, sometimes your foot gets put somewhere and someone else's foot turns out to be there first. It, it, it's, it's one of those things. But the way the game is refereed now, um, I can see how it was given. You know, I, you know, last night I was watching it on the box. There were three ex-professional footballers there, all from around the, the same generation. Two of them were absolutely outraged by it both ex-Manchester United players, to be fair, but, but they were both outraged by it, and the guy that was on the co-coms, Robbie Savage, wasn't, and, and said as soon as he saw the slow-motion replay, he's in trouble, this this could be a sending off. But interestingly, it was as soon as he saw the slow-motion replay, mm. because in real time, you're not going to pick that up, but what are we going to do? Yeah. Um, you know, are we going to un- uninvent the... Uh, Rewind and um, fast, you know, pause facility on your uh, on everyone's televisions. You know, are we going to ban action replays or whatever? Because, you know, you, you can't get around the fact that everything will be looked at, not in real time, to to get to try to achieve this clarity. And then, as soon as you look at it in slow motion, obviously things look worse. Mm. Oh, you know, every single rugby challenge looks far worse. Any any 
head contact in rugby looks horrendous in slow motion. You know, it looks like everyone should end up in prison in, in slow motion, <laughs> you know, but it's not. If you see it in, in real time, you think, well, of course, it's a, it's a, it's a contact sport yeah. and that's the contact that is going to happen. Yeah, I want to come back to the to that theme and the idea that the, the rule makers and things, because it's, it was a subject in your column this week, Martin, but just want to pick up on one of the points you made, Gregor, about intent. So, you know, you and Tony both played the game. If you had been on the receiving end of that challenge, you wouldn't have been complaining. No. Even as someone who broke your leg during your career. Because no. it was in that in that respect, in terms of the the outcome for the for the player who Rashford tackled, it could have been bad. He could have turned his ankle, could have broke his ankle, could have, you know, snapped a leg. Yeah, look, you wouldn't have been happy about it. The guys just stood on your ankle. And no, of course, it, but, but what I mean is you, you wouldn't would have, accept. You wouldn't have well, been no, stood up going, waving a card. No, no, but you, you no. might have thought it should have been a foul, but if the referee didn't see it because it looked like a kind of tangle, and a, as I say, he's manipulated his body to, to, to shield it. If the referee didn't see it, it's one of those things that you 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 know you, you would feel a bit angry about it, and you think maybe it should have been a foul, but I don't think there's any world he would have thought that that should have been a red card, even though that, even though that happened. But even if he'd broken his leg, he wouldn't have thought that. But, but this is the thing, we're also kind of retrospectively trying to make making these decisions now because yeah, sometimes it's it's on whether a player's been severely injured or not. Like mm. because you know, what was the one that was it, was it Son on uh an Everton player when he when he kind of he he pushed them? Who was it? Gomez is it Gomez this midfielder? I think it was, mate, yeah. Mm. Oh yeah, the the really it's bad a while injury. Back. Yeah, he broke his leg, but it was a nudge. And because mm. he broke his leg he, he you know, he had to go. It's like he had, you know, the Eduardo tackle all those years ago. The one, the Birmingham one, um, is it Birmingham or is it Stoke? Birmingham, uh, Birmingham against Eduardo. The referee's not going to send the guy off initially, no. and then he sees the state of Eduardo's leg, and then he sends the guy, card. and then he red cards the guy. But initially, in real time, he's not going to send him off because he just thought it was a, a, a normal foul. Like for, me, mean, that, yeah. for me, that's a dangerous. That's a dangerous yeah. path yeah. to go down. Like I understand people are, can be out, might be outraged us even discussing that because that even particularly that uh, that Eduardo one was pretty brutal. But yeah. it's it's part of the game. It's a risk when you step on the pitch. And I, as you say, I broke my leg, and I and and I know that when the guy made the challenge, the ball was there to be won. And when Martin's talking about it, you know perfectly validly, you know we're looking we're looking at ten years in the future. What what's this going to do to the game? Players won't, aren't going to be able to do that. I can't see a world when the ball is there to be won. Yeah, like it's like a high foot challenge. It's like sometimes, the, like when the ball's at a certain height, and you, you're like, if I don't try and win this now with my foot, you take it away and he might score. Past you. He yeah. might nick it and score. Yeah. So it's the only way. It's the only physical like mechanism you have to win the ball back. Like a reflex is what yeah. you're saying. It, a reaction. It's more than a reflex. Yeah. It reflex. It's if you don't do it, the consequences might be that you your team can see a goal. Like sometimes if that's happening like around the penalty box, you have to try and win the ball back, and it's what you've always mm-hmm. done. So changing that like so much, so kind of profoundly, I got, mate. I totally, gonna, I to- I'm just thinking of say like the Rashford thing, where uh, and we all see it. Players plant their ball, yeah. uh, plant Gazza their foot all the time. All the time. I was going to say when we were talking about Zidane, Gazza was Gazza. the one I was thinking of as well. That you plant your leg beyond the ball. Yeah. I'm just thinking. If there is a risk that if you touch your opponent whilst doing that, you could be, mm. you're going to have, you, you're almost going to have to have a generation of players, a, a next generation of players that find another way of shielding the ball. And I'm not saying I know what that way is, and I'm not saying that it won't still happen. I'm just thinking that mm. as the rugby players are being told, 
these are the rules, you have got to adapt. That is, in the end, what coaches will have to do with players and say, you know, you have got to adapt the way you play. I think it's very or, hard. Or you may have so, to say, you, you just have to concede possession. Yeah, maybe. That's crazy. Crazy, quicker. It's crazy, I know. Conceding possession, isn't it? And also, look, intent is quite an easy one for me to define. I think you can just look back and, okay, may not be sent off at the time. But if you take Keen on Haaland, <laughs> yeah. I mean... You don't have to, that's not rocket science, okay? Yeah. If you take Ben Thatcher on the challenge he made, mm. where he clearly had intentions to hurt, just uh, John Fashion, you did it to Gary Mabbott, mm. with an elbow, clear intent to go literally take this, you know, yeah. an elbow up in the air into his face mm. uh, to Gary Mabbott. So I think intent you can, you can work on afterwards, even if you don't send them off at the time and you're undecided, but you can let them know that that challenge is unacceptable and you'll get a long ban uh, for that. Now, I mean, how many times in a game, you know, whatever level of football you play, you've got a split second to make a decision on a tackle or, or you're quite gonna, you might not quite get there. The winger's quicker than you think. You know, how many times you see speedy wingers just get their toe and point, knock it past you? You're t- it's really hard to... If you're, if you're literally going to outlaw everything, then you'll be left with a game that Martin is talking about. Then you're, And Gregor's likewise saying, well, you can't do this and you can't do that. So the game's going to change, for, in my opinion, for the for the worst. Do you have to? Do you have to then, Tony? Maybe tinker with the punishments. Yeah. So I, when I mean, I think it was Mourinho used the uh, the orange card um, line first. I think it was Mourinho. He said it wasn't a yellow. It wasn't. It was. It was an orange. So it's a bit more than a yellow, but not quite a red. Do you have to then maybe do? As rugby did, and I know, I know it ends with with the, everyone going nuts about the um, about the rugby World Cup final. But they have this thing where you get a yellow card, so you go to the you yeah. go to you go off the pitch for ten minutes. Whilst you're off the pitch for ten minutes, there's somebody looking at that, and that somebody then tells the referee this needs to be upgraded, or he comes back on after ten minutes, and it's whether you upgrade the yellow yeah. to the red. If you did that with Marcus Rashford, say last night, if if the punishment was right, you're off for ten. It's an orange card. Yeah. You're off for ten minutes, and then there, if we trust <laughs> people in front of a video screen to look at that tackle, to look at you've got ten yeah. minutes to look at it and look at it and look at it and go, this is an accident. There's no intention. It looks bad, yeah. but he doesn't intend to do it. He comes back on after ten minutes. But if they look at it and think. No, he's no. tried to do him. Yeah. He's, he's tried to do him. That's a bad tackle. Right. Then then that is uh, upgra- red. upgraded to a red, red and, yeah, and he doesn't come back on yeah, again. Yeah, I think that's quite logical in that, many ways. You know, that's that's how it was done in in rugby at, at the World Cup. I'm not saying everyone was happy, but everyone's never happy. You're never going to make everybody happy. No. But that seems, if, if, if people are being punished more... Surely, what they have think that you can't have the old system of punishment, but a new set of punishment rules. Yeah, you've got to update the system as well as the rules, and that seems logical to me. Well, the rules is something that you talked about in your column on Tuesday, Martin. Don't blame the AR, blame take it out on the rule tinkerers. Yes. Um, and I wonder whether that comes into slightly the discussion around handball as well. Manchester United getting a pretty dubious penalty, in my opinion. Um, I know we were talking about this before the, before we started recording, Tony. 
surely you and Gregor must have slight views, both as a forward and a defender, both jumping in the air for the ball, using your arms. I mean, we're in a dangerous place on handball now in the box as well, aren't we? Yeah, cool. If I couldn't use my arms, <laughs> well, I don't think anybody could really, any defender, any striker, if you can't get leverage with, you know, lifting your arms up and... I don't know, I just don't know. Funny enough, right, and I'm going back in time, I always like a blast from the past. Jack Cholton talked about international football in the late 80s and 90s. And he went, with me and Noel Quinn, he went, don't try and win the ball. (coughs) I'm thinking, really? What's he on about? He said, when you jump, just try and jump into a defender so that the ball will just drop. But don't try and win it. He said, because once you lift your arms up, the ref was international football, because international football was worse than club football. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah, absolutely spot on that you would get penalised so often. So Jack was saying this years and years ago about, and when he was saying to me, it's so unnatural to say, I'm up against someone, I'm actually not going to try and win it. I'm just going to try and get the ball to drop. My challenge would be for the ball just to drop in an area, of, if you put a circle around where you were, that someone would come onto it. Because he didn't want you flicking it on and he didn't want you to get your, 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 your height that was required to win it because it was pointless. Once you did this, it didn't even matter if you contact, made contact. There was a decision last night, wasn't it, in the game? Mm. The, the ref blew his... The, and I think it's Harry Maguire. He's just lifted his arm and the ball hasn't even gone near his arm. It's mm. because he won the header but lifts his arm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Have, you've got to stop heading then. If you can't let anybody win the ball, you know, fairly, stop heading in the game. Gregor? Yeah, the, like the handball's law is in a ludicrous state because, you know, the, all the things that we're told about proximity, about, mm. you know, that, that clearly came into play last night. I don't know how you move your arm quick enough. And when you're talking about, an un, you know, uh, outside a silhouette or an unnatural, I, I can't, don't even know what the term is now. Harry Maguire was, was, was feeling for the player. You could say if he'd let that go, he might, he might have kind of, he may be trying to get a bit of a, uh, grab on them, but that's what you do in the box. That's part of defending. That's part of being a striker as well. You're holding someone off. So his arm was out to do that. It wasn't in any way to block the ball. And but so I'm not. There's no bl- no blame can be laid again at the referee or even the VAR. The 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 blame is laid at the, the rule makers because we were talking about, again. Martin and I were talking about this earlier about the kind of un, the unintended con, unintended consequences mm. of. Of rules and a lot of them are made to favour attackers, and it's the same as Martin wrote about in his column about off, the offside rule. It, in doing so, it has oh, it just almost all of these rules have had unintended consequences mm. that people look at now and think this just doesn't feel right. And I don't think you know you know there's a slight kind of acceptance. You know we're getting used to this new to the new handball, but it doesn't feel right. It still mm. doesn't feel right. Um, and both of both of them were, were ludicrous, I thought. Just as a concluding point in section one of our discussion around VAR, because it'll definitely come up in the uh, second section as well, talking about the other game of the week. Martin, do you think then that actually we have a little bit of sympathy for the on-field referees, who are obviously taking a lot of attention, and this season the guys in the boxes as well, in terms of the VAR, mm. getting a lot of attention, quite rightly a lot of the time, but do we have a little bit of sympathy for them then in terms of having to make these decisions with, Look, the, with the rules as they are? Without a doubt, I have sympathy for uh, for the referees. I, I think common sense is not being applied as often as it should be, I must admit. But um, what I do not understand, I don't think either of those handball decisions are given in the Premier League. So what I can't understand is 
how you can have a set of rules and they're interpreted one way uh, in UEFA competition and another way in our domestic competition. Because somebody is playing a version of the rules because they can't both be right. Um, and I find that very, very frustrating. And, and, and I'm not saying it's only just happened because as, as Tony pointed out earlier, without a shadow of a doubt, jumping for the ball was, was, was refereed differently on the continent to how it was in England. Mark Hughes went to Barcelona, played his normal game mm. at Manchester United, and that's one of the reasons why he didn't make it in Barcelona was because he was having free kicks given against him all the time. And it wasn't like he suddenly went out into Bar to Barcelona and played in a very, very physical way that he didn't play at Manchester United. He just played like Mark Hughes and what a player. But in Spain... He got free kicks given against him all the time. In the end, Peter Crouch's career at international level, it, it wasn't what it might have been because half the time he couldn't jump without someone giving him giving the free kick against him. So it's always happened, but it does. Last night, you know, those two decisions don't get given in the Premier League. But they would have when the rule first came in. Remember, yeah, remember, we've changed remember, it. Yeah. We, we, so we've we rolled back a bit on it. We've rolled back on it, yeah, totally. Oh, well, it's, it's even then, it's not consistent. You still see some handballs now, you think, Crikey, you know, a player who's sliding to make a, a block on the touchline and his trailing arm is there and it hits that and he <laughs> handball. You're like, what? <laughs> how can that possibly be a handball? But yeah. it has improved. You're right in saying that it has improved from when that ham that handball uh, mm -hmm. rule was mm -hmm. introduced. I think it was like maybe three years ago now. It's really weird that, you know, Monday morning, we'd all be having our ideas of what happened the weekend. Feels like every day's Monday now. Yeah. It does. Every day's Monday. Yeah. yeah. Where it we're is. talking about what happened Thursday night, we're talking about what happened Monday night on Tuesday. And, yeah. You know, and we're going to be talking about that Chelsea Tottenham game. Yeah. And it's like, well, it's every day's a Monday now. And also, and also, Tony, you go to a competition and you're suddenly all looking at each other going, well, where's the VR on that? And they go, oh no, there's no VR in this competition. <laughs> no, no one knew. No one knew. When West Ham played Arsenal last week in the League Cup and, and it looked like the goalkeeper got a, a little pull or yes, whatever yeah, full yeah, of yeah. A, before Ben White hedged it into his own net. And I don't know whether the keeper gets there or not. He probably doesn't actually. But but uh, even so, you're sitting at home thinking, oh, well, VR, this, and the next thing you know, they're kicking off. And you think, well, what's happening to VAR? Oh, there's no VR in this competition. And you think, Why? It's West Ham versus Arsenal. We're not at, we're not at some parks pitch or whatever in the third preliminary yeah, yeah, round yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. West Easy Ham, on the parks pitch. We've got some <laughs> lower league football fans in attendance. Now, we're going to have to yeah. move on from VR because there was yeah. a little bit of football to talk about as well. Just seven goals. Um, and I want to start with a positive for Manchester United because there is one. I thought they were very good for the They're first half an hour. <laughs> careful, careful. Uh, and Sam, a Manchester United listener, had been in touch this week to say that, you know, he does acknowledge that the season has been going badly, but he feels we've been very critical. So, that's fair. That's fine. Everyone's allowed their opinion, of course. And Sam, I do think that they were excellent for that first half an hour. I was discussing it with Paul Hurst, who was out there reporting on the game for us. And his view as the Manchester correspondent was that that was United's best performance of the season for half an hour. I'm not saying that's enough. And that's, I know games are 90 minutes. I can see you thinking, Martin, that's, you need to no, more I'm than half an hour. No, I'm just this column I wrote that said everything's random about Manchester United. And um, I wouldn't... <laughs> wouldn't backtrack on that at all. No, absolutely not. But I do think there were some positive signs there. Two goals for Rasmus Hoyland. Tony, do we think again that, you know, there was there's a striker in there, isn't there? There's a player in there. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's eye-catching his pace and he can be di quite direct. I think Man United as a team 
um, maybe with the personnel that's been chosen as well, has let him down slightly because he hasn't been given many chances. We're not talking about a striker in the Premier League that's had loads of chances game after game and he's mm. missed them. He's not had chances in games. If you can feed him and find him, and I thought it was way, way more natural, the Ganacho on the left, uh, Rashford on the right, Fernandez just behind Hoyland, and I thought that looked really good, and they exposed that space. Wambazaka, for one of the goals, gets in behind the back, and being adventurous as well and being brave to get beyond Rashford, that definitely worked. Um, so, yeah, there was. that's probably the best performance I've seen for United, even though um, I'm talking about the first period yeah. of, of attacking play. Yeah. They looked like it was with purpose because before that, there was a real lack of purpose about their play. It was dwelling on the ball. It was quite slow, but that looked quite dynamic for, for half an hour plus. Gregor? Yeah, just that last bit is important. Like This yeah. is what we've got to with Manchester United. We're, yeah. we're praising half an hour. No, but, uh, but, but game. only because I think we should. Because, as I say, I was watching the match as, a, as an editor last night thinking this the, the story, as you're always thinking, the story is going to be, it's clicked. It's finally clicked. Why did you think that? Because they were 2-0 up and playing really well. Yeah, but have you not watched Manchester United for the because last Because it's years? nice to dream sometimes, isn't it, Gregor? Come on. It's <laughs> nice to think things can go oh, I'm sorry, go like, even, I was watching, like, <laughs> this is this not rock and roll, I was watching, it was like my mum's visiting, <laughs> so Five and it was when it was even when it was three two. She was like, "Oh, this is going to be a big result for them." She's visiting, and I went, "Look, mum, there's still fifteen minutes left here. I would, this is Manchester United." Well, at least me, <laughs> at least me and your mum are both dreamers. That's all we can uh, agree on. But let's get to the point that I think you're going to want to talk about, which is the tactics after that red card, because I do think that was interesting and slightly naive slash chaotic <laughs> and a bit bonkers, Gregor. Yeah, yeah. Because um... they kept going for them, even when they conceded a two two. Copenhagen ain't a good team. Yeah, I... I mean, look, you should go for Copenhagen. I'm sorry. I mean, I know they've won 4-3 and they missed a penalty in the last minute at Old Trafford and that would have levelled the game. But Copenhagen aren't a good team. They'd be annihilated. In If they were in Newcastle's group, they wouldn't have a point. Um... I'm not. I'm trying. I'm trying to think of Arsenal's group. I mean, there's yeah. yeah. There's not a group that they would not be bottom of. I, I find it very hard to think of a group that they would be bottom of, that they wouldn't be bottom of. Mm. And Manchester United have made them look like these sort of comeback kings. I mean, they spent the first what was it, ten, fifteen, fifteen minutes of the second half. Uh, they had a man advantage. They kept taking shots from mm. thirty yards. The 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 the, uh, the fullback who got booked must have had about two or three from thirty yards out. You're thinking, who is going to say to him, mate, if 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 you could actually have a shot from thirty yards, you wouldn't be playing fullback. You know, um, it's just they've made them look like world beaters. You know, yeah, they, there were enough warning signs. Like Amrabat gave the ball away, like under hit pass to Dallow. Mm. Dallow. Dallow Dinky kind of dived in they went through and just blazed it over the bar there were a few instances like that and it looked like there was just far too much space opening up but they were ultimately architects of their own downfall again yeah, I mean I totally Dallow agree. defended well a lot and it's hard for him playing the left but then he just switched off completely yeah. and that's, that's been a common theme this year for Dallow he switched and then, off and then again the, the, playing the ball in, across the box but Andlis looked like he completely panicked and just punted it in the air yeah. Um and, and they've lost the game. They, they, they caused the. They were architects of their own downfall. So how how do you do it then, Tone? You know, you lose a man. You're, you're leading away from home in a big game. You know, what tactics have you been accustomed to in times when it's happened to you before? Sit in, sit deep, well, or, it, or are you thinking like Martin? Well, you could still got to have a tactic. We've, we've got I mean, we've got one fewer player, but come on, lads. These oh, well, lot, okay. these lot of sh- these lot of crap. I'll ask you boys a question. 
Who was worse, Tottenham with nine men or, or Man United with ten? <laughs> yeah. Right? I thought Tottenham were better with nine yes, yeah. than Man United were with ten. Mm. Okay? I would agree. Is that a fair point? Is yeah, that harsh? I, I don't know. I, I, nine men's a massive disadvantage. Yeah. Okay? Which we'll go to later. But ten men, you can still have a structure of a side that still enables you to cause teams problems. There's mm. been many examples over the years of yeah, ten men winning absolutely. games. It's not that rare. It's but that's not what like I mean. So what, so what should they have... Manchester United against oh, Copenhagen. Absolutely. Manchester United with 10 men, Copenhagen with 11, shouldn't end up... A, it feels a, a, like a leveller in yeah, some way. Yeah, so, so what? So what is it then? Because, as I say, they went quite bold, even when they were conceding goals before half-time. And then afterwards, they kind of you thought Ten Hag had kind of said, right, let's settle it down. We can still, we can still win this game, mm-hmm. perhaps, but let's settle it down. Which of those tactics should it be? Should, or should it be a blend? Or well, what, what did they get wrong? Because yeah. that's a big point, right? Look at their games and results this year. Not one draw, right? They couldn't even get a draw out of a game that they ended up throwing away. Now, that draw could be vital to them having a chance of qualifying. Mm. And I didn't get that. There was a game years ago, Monaco played um, Arsenal in the, in the Champions League. And I remember they were 2-0 down and they scored a goal. At the, oh, sorry, they were 2-0 down. They scored a goal really late. And the whole of the Arsenal team ran sprinting into the, the penalty. They got to play the away game, by the way, because it was mm. a two-legged. Sprinting back, they plonked it on the centre circle Arsenal. Sprint, and I'm thinking, calm down. You can beat Monaco in Monaco. Don't go quick. They tried to get a 2-2 equaliser. Mm. Conceded a 1-3-1. Arsenal won 2-0 in Monaco and went out. Yeah. And I remember thinking, that's just that's, being naive. This is the kind of thing that, you know, ex-pros say in the studios talk about game management and everybody kind of maybe rolls their eyes a bit. But there is an element of truth in that. And mm. it's even, it's hard to talk about that when you're talking about Harry Maguire, who's, you know, vastly experienced. He's the captain of Manchester United. And Varane, who has won yeah. four Champions Leagues. Mm. You know, it sounds silly saying that to these guys. But, and perhaps some of that needs to come, you know, I'm not being critical of Ten Hag much at all. But, when when they you know they, they continue to try and play it from the back despite those warning signs, like even even I said I've seen this to Martin early even at the start you know there was they were praised about the, the opening goal it was kind of I think there were you know almost thirty passes a lot you know they were knocking it into the back and every time Johnny Evans got on the ball he was like he looked you know it was a little bit panicked he was kind of trying to turn it back and trying to play it didn't look comfortable and then he gave it to Regulon and he burst forward they switched the ball so like the opening. 25 passes of that we looked kind of they were just knocking it around at the back and it still didn't look comfortable it wasn't like a beautifully constructed goal I just don't think that you know we've talked we've spoken about this about Ten Hag trying to play in a certain way or you know but also having to tailor that to the players at his disposal mm. and I still don't think that a lot of the players he has in his defence are comfortable no. building play from the back well, it's and interesting. That's, that's ultimately what has lost in the game in this yeah it's interesting you mention that because I just want to make, bring up Luke Shaw because I was discussing with Paul Hurst his ideas for his piece today as a follow up um, and he's going to be writing about all sorts of themes but one of them is the absence of Luke Shaw and the effect that has on Manchester United as a team both in terms of defensively, some of the things you pointed out, Tony, in terms of his awareness in the box, yeah. something that Mourinho criticised him for and that he's improved greatly. I don't think that goal that Dallow concedes happens if Luke Shaw's playing at the back post, potentially. Mm-hmm. And also his ability to bring the ball out and break lines and his ability, his relationship with Marcus Rashford. So there is, there is, that is a big mitigating factor. Absolutely. Yeah. His, his absence from the team. Yeah, I mean, also his versatility because he, he, could, he was playing certain half sometimes and he can play a fullback and... That side of the pitch is look is sort of area that's been difficult for them to 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 fill basically. Um and Martinez, yeah, look, there are absolutely there's 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 mitigation, but um that's why we've seen them tailor the way that they 
they play. And I, ultimately, I just think that too many of those players didn't look... Even Dallow, every time he got on the ball, he wanted to cut inside because he was right-footed and, mm. and, and play. And it was like, it was became too predictable. Once he did it in the second half and he lost it and they were on... They were just warning signs in that second half that mm. they were causing their own problems. It was a back and that's when, you say, that's when somebody needs to say, look, this is, this is a bit hairy. They've got too much space. They've had a few shots. They've had a few sighters. Let's try and maybe not take off our centre-forward and try and play in their half a little bit, so, just, for, Gregor, just for a little while. Well, I've got, so why do you think, why are you giving Ten Hag of such a, uh, not a free pass, but... An easy ride, he's given an, an easy, easy ride. Because he's responsible as, as the, the manager, the coach, to understand that players who are not capable to do some of the things he wants to, them to be able to do, like wan done a back pass in the second half that was frighteningly... It was like good luck, Anano, on that one, but mm, it, yeah. he got away with it. But you know, this was a, this has been a theme that they're giving goals away. Now, if you're the coach, you have to take quite a big responsibility upon yourself that that doesn't happen. Absolutely, I mean, I, I agree, and I even even more so in terms of when you saw that was the that was the direction of travel in the second half. Yeah, that you saw that your team was suddenly getting on the back foot, and that there was they were presenting the other team with opportunities. That's when I think a message could have come from the side as well. But look, as I said, you've got some hugely experienced players there um, who might have recognised that themselves. No, but nothing is changing. That's the other thing that's happening with Manchester United. Odd individual, you know, every time they win a game, it gets you know, people think, oh, it's a corner turn. This is, you know, this is, this is when the season's. There's only one guy in that team, Scott McDonald. Tomney, um, perhaps, but that's also to do with his international performances, that looks to have turned a corner this season. Anana has been much better since he saved that penalty in the last minute against Copenhagen. His, his, his performances in the two or three games since then have been excellent. Um, so that's that, that, that result changed things for him. But I just think with the rest of them, there's too much wrong collectively for any sort of win at the moment to be a corner turned. I mean, you know, people were reading things into the Fulham game, but if you saw the Fulham game, you're looking at it and thinking, no, this, they didn't play well enough for this no, to, to, to got you know, confidence from it. And in the end, they score because Fulham, for some reason, can't clear a ball for five consecutive you know, they have five chances to, to stop Manchester United scoring just by kicking it up the field and don't take any of them. And Manchester United have got Bruno Fernandes. And, you know, no one they virtually no one they play has got a player as good as Bruno Fernandes. So it, it's, all, it's just all too random. It's all too sort of, you know, toss it up in the air and see where it falls, basically. Well, you know? we'll see. I, I can't see what you, where you're coming from, though. Like, we have to see... They, the sending off which was spoken about yeah. they were very unfortunate with the goal you know some of the goals they conceded were unfortunate as well so they didn't get the rubber green in this but no. they still once once those things happened they found a way back into the game they deserve yeah. some credit for that they're why, why they, up. they should have been able to hold on you know see that out I think yeah well Manchester United fans I know a lot of you have been in touch about um, our coverage of your team so do get in touch again hope you enjoyed that debate and also listeners if you've got any thoughts on you know enjoyed a considered debate Martin we gave him some praise bit of credit here and there <laughs> I just think you're inviting trouble now come on I don't mind I don't mind tom.clark at thetimes.co.uk get in touch whether it's trouble or not or if you've got some views on VAR <laughs> 
or if you've got some views on VAR, you can get in touch. But stick with us. We are discussing the other game of the week next. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I'm Tom Clark and I'm joined by Martin Samuel, Tony Cascarino and Gregor Robertson. And Tony, as you sang earlier in your best Morrissey impression with the slight remix, every day is like Monday. And we go back to Monday <laughs> for that Chelsea-Tottenham thriller. Loads of goals, loads of incidents, red cards galore, VAR. Should we start with VAR again, as we did in the last game? Gregor, the Defenders Union, two, two red cards for two defenders. Any case for the defence for either of them? Right, Romain Melo, this is my head absolutely spinning here. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got no, Christian, I remember Romero, Christian Romero, Romero, Romero in the 33rd yeah. minute. Um, I think, like, again, this is, I think that's one where, we, again, Martin, I was speaking this earlier, where the, the, even a few years ago, people would have been saying, a lot of former players would have been saying that he's won the ball. Uh, and there's still a part of me who wants to, wants to say that. Yeah. But I think we have come to a point where we can accept and realise that he didn't have to win it with such force and go through the player, which was clearly intentional. So for me, that has crossed a line, which is a line that should be there now, I think, probably in, in, in the modern game. So so it's the intent point. That, to absolutely. go back to your thing with Rashford, where you're absolutely. saying his intent is to shield the ball, not to stand on his ankle. This, you're saying, he did. he wanted to clatter him. Yes. And... You know, as I said, there are opportuni- There are other uh, sort of instances in a game where you could, you have to maybe slide. The ball's further away from you. You have to maybe slide to win the challenge, and you go through the ball, and it's unintentional. And now you get red cards for it. I'm not down for that. I'm not down for that. That like the Curtis Jones ones and things like that. Yeah, well, that was slightly kind of unique as well, and that his foot rolled over the top of the ball. Like there are times where you can win the ball totally cleanly, but if you're doing it at, at speed. And with enough force that you also go through the man, you'll be sent off for it now. And I'm not, like, I'm not in favour of that whatsoever. This is different. The ball was close to him. He almost, he was almost able to delay his sort of stride to time it that he hit the ball and also clattered through the player as well. So that was intentional. 
I think anyone who's who, you know who knows football would would say that was intentional, and I think nowadays that's going to be a red card. So does a doggy get intent as well? Does that fall under his in category? The doggies falls under stupidity, I think. Really, the first. So do you think you asking me if the first one should have been a straight red? Mm. But again, no. I mean, it was just it was a a risky challenge, but because nothing happened, I don't think you need to give it. It's not it's not changed the outcome of the game. It's not. I don't think that's enough to be sent off immediately on the spot. I think what he did afterwards mm. was was absolutely ludicrous. Tony, you're laughing. Come I'm on. laughing because I was thinking about um, Romero's one where he's nailed his Argentinian teammate. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the incredible thing. That's the, that's the guy that plays for Argentina. Yeah, I was thinking, and he does have that look about, uh, for our older viewers, or listeners, should I say, he does have this air of Stan Laurel, where he looks totally confused, like as if he's done anything wrong, Romero. And he does make me laugh, because I'm thinking... And, by the way, he has got pretty long list on his CV of nailing people, you know, and these really... He's four cards since uh, he's well, in 75 and, matches. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and you put in the ones that he's... It's been fine lines yeah. with him. He's done it a few times. Well, um, we, we were praising him only a few weeks ago for, like, having... Well, he is having, a hell of a having, player. No, but for having cast aside mm. this reckless side of his game. And mm. then we've just seen it again, and it's really it's going to cost his team sorely. Yeah. He seems to have uh, again a bit of Daniel Passarella in his game, but I think mm. he was a bit more shrewder Passarella yeah. when he did, did it. The great Argentinian centre half. Um, it was it was a bonkers game, and just watching it, it as an incident, it was literally Monday night was one of them games where I came away thinking I've never seen a football match mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Until great. Wednesday. Well, thank, no. God, thank God we previewed it last Thursday. Eh? We did say it was going to be the game of the weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very yeah. astute. Yeah, um, absolutely. Martin, does it sound like then that actually the officials deserve credit for this game? Because as much as the red cards dictated what game we saw and the bonkers nature of it, do, do they deserve some credit then for the way they officiated this? Took their time over decisions and came to the right conclusions in the end? Yeah, it's a difficult one in as much as after what happened at Tottenham a few weeks ago against Liverpool, it was like, oh, this is crackers, why don't they do this, why don't they do that? So, obviously, what then happens is every decision is taking longer as everyone checks and rechecks and double-checks and cross-checks, and yeah, now we're absolutely certain we've got this one right, now we can go forward. And then... And uh, Postacoglu says, understandably, we spent all the we spent all games staring up at a screen, you know, all standing still, watching a screen to see what would happen. And I think it's a fifty-seven minute first half, and I think the ball's actually in play for twenty-three minutes of it. That's a long time with the ball out of play, or you standing around waiting for uh, a television screen to tell you what's happened. Having said this, say the one we're talking about there, Romero, and, and, and the argument against the, oh, well, he got the ball and you've got to take that into account, you've got the ball. If you shoot somebody through a window, you can't then say, oh, I was aiming at the glass, you know, and he just happened to be standing behind it, you know. So, That's a good analogy. You know, that, that, you know, it, so that is what has happened in football. You can't then, you cannot take the presence of the man behind the ball out of it when you're winning the ball. Um, Vinnie Jones, as good as ended Gary Stevens' career, by going, can you yeah, remember the yeah, tackle, yeah. Tony, by going through the ball over by the touchline with such force, 
it absolutely took Gary Stevens out behind it, and he played very little football after that, and certainly very little football at the grade he was playing it at before. So, um, you know, so that's what it's there to stop, basically. So I can understand that. I even though he wins the ball, I can understand that, and it's it's interesting now that we spend a lot of time debating whether someone should be sent off after 10 minutes or whatever for you know when when previously the argument has been you know how do we keep 11 against 11 whereas now there is almost not not a, not a sort of bloodlust about it but we are so um we're so used to these rules now that you're almost sitting there going well that's a red card offense straight away and it's like yeah five minutes into the game uh, I, I would actually i'm even going to contradict myself here I love, because, it. I love it when you do that. Go because I, I was watching this game and obviously Caicedo scored that goal mm. yeah. that went through the through, uh, the legs, the through someone's legs. Jackson, yeah. wasn't mm. it? Nicholas Jack- Jackson. Yes, Jackson's yes. Jackson's and he was like fractionally offside. And then after close after that, Romero made that challenge. Mm. And I was sitting there thinking, although both of them were technically right, in a world without VAR, would it be so bad if Caicedo's goal had stood and Romero had stayed on the pitch? I would far rather that was the case because yeah. the goal was again, like I say, it was it was marginal, and you see it happen. I don't think you know there are occasions where you think that that alters what the goalkeeper is going to do. I don't think this was really one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and Romero's could be. I, I'm fine. With, I know I'm a, I was a former defender, but I'm fine with someone with saying he got away with one there, mm-hmm. and the referee even having his card marked about that, and it maybe even like influence him as a human. Referee in the game. Do you have that in games then? Yeah. Would you have it where you'd have clattered someone and gone, "Oh crap!" I got I'm away right. with one. Right. There, yeah. And but would the ref then say to you, "You've got away with one. That's it. Your your next one or not?" I think I think maybe even if you saw the reaction of players around them and and, and you know the rest of the and then the yellow the pitch, card comes out and you go, "Oh, thank God for that." So he could have got but, sent yeah, off. but he, but I don't think it, he would even you even stopped the game. Obviously, he didn't stop. You know, what I mean, it wouldn't be like right. No, that was retrospective. So as I say, to let the game flow and let kind of two things that two things that have that you know changed the direction of the game fundamentally mm. one of them was chopped off and then another one we were bringing play back it was there were so many things that were going through yeah. the VAR had to re-referee for all of that just to be put consigned to the bin for those two things to just have been allowed to happen mm. that would be fine for me do you think it played a part that the when he lashed out I don't there's never a red card for me but when he lashed out earlier in the game uh, when he stuck his foot out and the challenge on the halfway line, do you remember it? And yeah. I'm not sure who it was, but he lashes his his boat out and yeah. and some people said, I think in commentary they sort of said, oh, could be in trouble could here. Have, yeah, it could have been it could be yeah. sent off, and they decide it's oh they gave it's um, another, yes. it another it, it was petulant not, it yeah. wasn't petulant more uh, than yeah. yeah yeah so he he may have slightly got away with one there but I I I didn't consider what Gregor said you know on the night about giving the goal and leaving him on. Um, no, no, it's never going to happen. No, you, you need a world without VAR for that to for that. Yeah. But I think we, us, everyone watching the game, to see an eleven v eleven on the pitch, to see a goal scored that was was a good goal. And like mm. as as again, Martin and I were talking earlier about what was offside brought in for. It wasn't for that. We've no. got away. So we've we're got... we're completely like altering the fabric we've, of the game. We've <laughs> got completely away from the actual rules of the game. This is one of the things I've got to be... Because there was something happened, and this is what I did write a little bit about in the week. Something happened the other... And no one, and no one has mentioned this. I'm the only person who's mentioned this because we are so used to this now. And it happened in 
I think it was 1994. I think was it Bebeto or Romero scored like this for Brazil in the 1994 World Cup. Yeah. But for one of Chelsea's goals, I can't remember which one it was. Nicholas Jackson is a yard, maybe two yards offside, but he's walking back. The ball is played through to Raheem Sterling. It's in the Tottenham half, so it's not yeah. a case of he's not offside because it's in his own half. Everyone's in Tottenham's half. Ball gets slipped through to Raheem Sterling, who is now sprinting. Nicholas Jackson, therefore, stops walking back. So he's, yeah. a, he's two yards offside when the ball's played to Raheem. Stops walking back, turns and starts running. He's now a yard ahead of any Tottenham defender because he, he starts off behind them, basically. Yeah. By the time Raheem gets to the byline, um, he's cutting the ball back to Nicholas Jackson, so he's not offside, but he's still a yard in front of any other Tottenham defender because that's the yard start that he's got. Scores, mm. and there's not a ripple, not a ripple of complaint about that because it absolutely fits perfectly with the rules. And my point is this, the rules are nonsense. You, he cannot not be active mm. just because he, he's walking, you know, because he's turned and made himself active. You I can't not be active. Again. Yeah. But you can't not be active. But I think that one dates back. I'm sure it's the 1994 World been. Cup is the first. Well, I was there. And I, I think I, it's Bebeto is the first one to score like that. He's walking back. It's either Bebeto or Romero. Yeah. And then he suddenly turns and starts running. But he's in front of uh, of the defence. And you think, this doesn't... There's no logic to this. And th- this has always been my point with offside and all the VAR offsides and the millimetre offsides and the toenail offsides and this, that wasn't what offside... You know, when the offside rules were written, nobody ever envisaged you would be able to identify via the use of technology whether somebody was a fingernail offside or not or a toenail offside. It was written that offside could be seen with the naked eye. Mm. It was written for the linesman. Actually, first of all, it was written for the referee, and there actually had to be mm. space between you and the and the other guy. But it was written for the you know eventually modified for the linesman for something you could see with the naked mm. eye. So when referees talk about oh it's black and white, no, no, it was never meant to be as as defined as it is now. But do you not think some of the problem with the technology is that people didn't accept that human judgment? We we as fans and as the media and and managers and things we didn't accept. No, he's off. He's off. He is off. How's they not seen that? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Yeah. So the responsibility comes to all of us. So now you've got it. Football. Now you've got toenail you've... offsides. But it wasn't meant to be like that, Tom. It, it really wasn't. Mm. Benefit of doubt. Right. I can remember Jose Marino going nuts about a linesman's decision. I think it was Chelsea versus Fulham, and everyone said, "Yeah, but." It's it's right, and he said, yeah, yeah, but it's right for the wrong reason. He can't possibly the the the, the minuscule amount that he's mm. got it right by. He's meant to give the benefit of doubt to the attacking team. There is no way he judged it as sophisticatedly as that. And of course, that was Jose moaning even yeah. when even when the linesman's got it right. Jose still thinks he's wrong, but his basic point was right. The guy gave the Chelsea player, I think it was, offside. And when you looked at it, it was offside by a fraction. And Jose Mourinho's point is, he hasn't called that as, you know, because he's got it. He's meant to give the benefit of doubt to the attacking team. Just one word, Tom. This shows where we are on all of this. We've had a five-goal thriller on a Monday night and a seven-goal thriller on Wednesday night. 
and we've talked very little football. Mm. So the consequences of VAR in our game is a knock-on effect of the bigger game in for me over the next five, ten years because things can't stay as they are today. That's for sure. Well, it brings me to my concluding point because, as I say, I do want to get onto a bit of the football. And I, uh, David Hall, who's a listener from New Jersey in America, um, emailed me to with the subject video arcade. Tom, I endured. Tottenham v Chelsea it was too much like watching the NFL surely this isn't what we want for football and linking that to some of Ange Postacoglu's comments after the games talking very eloquently and very measured in a very measured way um about not wanting it given all that we've discussed where do we go do we turn back I'd and like- get and get rid or do we persist and change it like you talked about Martin try, and try and try and be try and be pithy because I want to get onto Postacoglu's tactics <laughs> I'd love to turn it turn back the clock and I'd love for uh, everyone who loves football to realise that all the kind of all the rage that we we and the you know invectively we, we sent in the direction of referees and officials it's not changed in fact it's worse because all we've done is open up a new realm of you know subjectivity and possibilities to to pick over things and the minutiae of things and and you know, look at slow motion replays. I'd love to just be able to accept everyone just to accept now that we've got you might have a flawed human being in the middle and running the line, and, and they were but they were doing a pretty good job. And actually, the spectacle as a whole was far better, great, it was far more entertaining. Uh, because as you're, you're right, that you know, th- these were still thrillers, but they were diminished, they, yeah. were, they were diminished by the officiating and by the use of the t- technology, in my view, Tony. Well, I will get a little bit nostalgic because I did think the game was played in a certain way and we accepted to a degree, you know, not say the failings of officials, but they they don't always get it right. And that's not a problem, you know, to me. It's that, that Why was the game, and I know it's still as popular as ever, um, why was the game so popular in the past anyway? Because it controversial, football's meant to be controversial. That's why it was the number one sport. Because always, in every angle, in every part of the world, it's it's made in a certain way. I've played with different players from different continents. And football is by far the number one game. And it's a lot of the base of it is of how it was played. Um, I understand everything evolves and changes. But I think when you, when you make a pie and you just keep changing and adding more ingredients all the time into it because you think you may make it better and it ends up becoming worse. So I feel like we're at that stage with football. We just keep thinking, change, 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 evolve it, we'll solve that problem. We've had the short sleeves and the, you know, <laughs> that you, your sleeve was there, that was handball, and then, you know, just change one after the other. If you look at law changes in the game, there's been like from 2016, there's been well over 200 law changes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's in one sport. I didn't even know there were 200 laws. But you know mm. what I mean? There's been that amount of changes for over them years. Yeah. Martin, concluding point on VAR. Where we go? Forward uh, well, or back? I don't, you can't uninvent it. It's like trying to uninvent the wheel. Um, so you, we're not going to be able to uninvent it. I, I just think it's got to be applied with more common sense. The people drawing the walls up, there's got to be more common sense in, in, in the whole thing. Um, and that, I mean, look, you know, they've turned football into, and I think this was Angie's point as well, they, they, it's a very stop-start game now, and it never was a stop-start game. Rugby, I remember, I think it was Linda Smith described rugby union as a really boring fight that someone keeps trying to break up for no <laughs> reason. Um, and um, 
And and that's what rugby was. And cricket stops after every ball. And, uh, you know, football didn't. Football carried on going, carried on going. But now... It stops and everyone hangs around and they all look at a you know they all look at a, a screen and having I mean, drinks now during uh, games. Absolutely, yeah, and and, and it, it's changed that yeah it's no it's, it's freezing cold and everyone's still oh much you know maybe they got cocoa or something like that you know, but it's it's so it is changing the fabric of the game a little bit more if com, a little bit more common sense is needed. The, the one thing that Varus made us truly realise is that there's not always a right and wrong. Well, that was always going to be the problem, Gregor. That was always... Everyone had it down. Everyone had it down. Everyone thought what was going to happen with it was, oh, it will always agree with me. I think everyone who was in favour of VAR just thought, uh, what I think will be now backed up by... By facts. By facts. Irrefutable evidence will now back up what I think. And it's turned out that what football is, 91% of the time, is a judgment call. Exactly. And a judgment call. Well, speaking of judgment calls, that leads me to the football. Um, Ange Postacoglu's tactics in this game. Tom Allnut wrote about them after the match. He called. He said he, he was, thought the manager, Tottenham manager, was a bit stubborn. Uh, and that high line, Gregor, comical, <laughs> bonkers. We've never seen anything like it, have we? It's given you sleepless nights ever since. I it imagine. was. It was. It was thrilling. That's what it was. I mean, easy to say. Now you retired. We can talk it? about how mad it was, or you know whether there was any logic to it, but. I, I, Fundamentally, I was watching this thinking, fair play to you. Fair play to you. Fair play to anyone who, stick, who wants to stick to their guns and their beliefs with that much kind of devotion, despite going down to nine men. Uh, and that one picture that kind of that encapsulated it all when there was like seven men plus son yeah. <laughs> on, the, on the halfway line and half the Chelsea team running the other direction. It's like, what the hell is this? But it made for some spectacle and it almost worked. Yeah. Let's be honest. I mean... Who had opportunities? Son, B- Son Bentancur, Son, D- uh, Dyer. Dyer scored a goal that yeah. was offside. Mm-hmm. They were all at 2-1. Um, <laughs> and obviously the scoreline doesn't really re- still manage to reflect what the game was like. Like It was incredible. Incredible spectacle. Uh, I, I still can't make, make my mind up on whether it was like logical or not. Yeah. Whether it was the best way to try and get a result. But it almost it almost it almost worked. But they yeah. always say uh, idiot and genius are closely related, <laughs> don't they? And I just I was like Gregor watching it and thinking I was laughing because the goalkeeper was literally on the he was set, a, he was a proper sweeper, midfield, wasn't it? He was a conventional like a yeah. conventional yeah. member of the sweeper, defense. Yeah, just yeah. And conventional and, sweeper. And Chelsea kept playing it in his position. Mm. So I'm I'm watching the game and I'm thinking, no, the space is out wide. Get 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 the keeper and just break from out wide. Don't go central because the keeper's just waiting. He must have done it five times yeah, in about yeah. ten minutes. Where he was got my man the match, Vicario. And I, I, look, it was amazing. And it, there is a part of me, a bit like what Gregor said. Uh, you know, you have a manager that's gone. Do you know what? We're two one down. I'm still going after him. We're still going to try and score. And I mean, Son's chance. You fancy him all day long in them sort of scenarios, don't you? When he's got the goal at his mercy. Um, it was, I've I've never seen the team attempt that. I've seen many sides with eleven men all get behind the ball, regular in the Premier League, who are probably fighting for relegation. But I've never seen a nine take on, you know, a club with obviously the type of players mm. that Chelsea have got. Go, well, we're still going to try and have a go. Yeah. I'm with Dyer, and 
Emerson Royale are just in the halves. Then Hoiberg. <laughs> it was like none of them would fill you with great confidence as yeah, kind no, of no. either disciplined enough or they having the pace. Confidence 13 against 11, let alone 9, you know. Yeah, it was incredible. But I do think there's something to be said. We talked about um, one of our colleagues, Glenn, as the Glenometer for the, the where Tottenham are in terms of the season. Well, I've spoken to another one of our colleagues, Anthony, on the design desk, who's a Tottenham season ticket holder. And he's normally, he can be a little bit down about Tottenham, particularly when they've lost to a London rival. So I said to him, you know, how did you feel after the game? And he said, it's the only time we've lost to a London rival and in that manner, and I've been okay with it. Mm-hmm. But, but because we do of, love. Because a, of how we've played. But as a nation of people, Tom, we love glorious failure. That, that's, that's I mean, it our, was glorious. That is our absolute... Fi- if you think of how many great explorers this country <laughs> has produced, how we have gone around the world, you know... Discovering place, and who is our most famous explorer? Scott of the Antarctic. Not only did he get there second, second everyone yeah. got killed, <laughs> right? And he is our most famous explorer, right? Um, you you go through you go through English history. We love nothing more than a than a than a failure that uh, is yeah. achieved in glory. You know, name one battle in the Second World War. Dunkirk. We get forced into the sea in France, basically. You know, <laughs> and everyone has to everyone has to sail over from Dover. You know, we actually won that war. We actually won that war, but that's our most famous battle—the one we get forced into the sea by by the Germans. It's it's you know. But do you not think there's something about what Anthony's saying in terms of what Postecoglou's done this season with Tottenham? That yes, I take your point about the glorious failure, and there was there is a lot that we Brits love about that. But in terms of what Tottenham have done for these moments, that because he was talking about in the stadium, all the fans were chanting and singing as Chelsea was scoring, and he said they scored the third and they oh, kept singing funny. and they went singing even more. No, but do you not think it's more than that, mate? It, no, of course, it's, I don't it's, it's, it is. It is more than that I in terms of what great. he's done and this look, season. It, the man's got a philosophy. Uh, you know, they lost, but they lost playing the way that Tottenham have played this season. You know, they lost taking a risk. Um, taking a chance, it was great, it, 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 and they and they made it could have been a really dull game. You get two men sent off, someone throws a blanket over the game, and then it just becomes like the Alamo, and it's you know just defence versus attack for the for the rest of the game. And Tottenham actually made it a game of football where you're mm. thinking at some stage they could win this, they might actually nick this, or you know. So it was fantastic. It was fantastic, but we do love glorious failure. There, you know, there is that about it as well. Who discovered Australia then? Ange Postacoglu. <laughs> no, we're going to get. I'm keeping us on because it was an Australian man that made all these. I'm, keep, I'm, keep, I'm keeping. It's not just that we love. It's not just. It isn't just that we love. No. It's even when we were a success, we try to think of a failure that we can. We can have a look at what King Alfred. Actually, did right. <laughs> Have a look at what, honestly. He, like the post office, the civil service, the Royal Navy. He, he he invents the prototypes of all of those. And so what we do is we remember that he burnt a load of cakes. So he's remembered as this terrible baker. Basically. I honestly didn't know where this podcast was going to end up. There was the worrying well, moment when you started talking about shooting people. But do you know what? I just said, just that, talk about shooting through people. the glass. That was the. Oh that was, yeah, yeah. Well, that, but that's true. That was a genuine analogy. Thank God that was just an analogy. Anyway, back to the football, and I want to ask Tony. Did, Doesn't so, have to be Tom, did, you know. did 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 Tottenham lose this game or did Chelsea win it? 
Well, um, obviously the sending off had a huge yeah, impact but even, on the penalty. Even so, you know, because they were 1-0 well, up. Do, do you think, as much as we are praising Postacoglu and it's great fun and glorious failure and things? Well, the first 20 minutes, it was one-way traffic and, you know, it looked hmm. like it could go. They were brilliant. Yeah, they, they were superb. Um, you know, we talked about two games here, Tom, and the outcome of a sending off has really changed both matches. That's the common denominator. The sending offs have changed games, hmm. which which they did. Um but one's one's more foolish than the other. I mean, yes. you, you, you've got to say Romero has yeah. has done his team over, really. Yeah, he although, has. Although that first half, the kind of last ten minutes, where it was just like calamitous when you saw Madison hobble mm. off and well, yeah, yeah Van der Ven I mean, as well. They get two, in, yeah. two men sent off uh, halfway through the second half. Yeah, they've got four guys one. that they started the game with. Uh, you know, I'm, I've never seen a football match like that. There, mm-hmm. There's only four players on the pitch, outfield players, I think, um, midway through the second half that were in the, in the starting eleven. Uh, so I don't think you can read a thing into it from either team. Well, it's really, Man City it's up such next, a weird... isn't it? For Chelsea, for Chelsea. Uh, for yeah. Chelsea, yeah. That, you yeah. know, we know what City can do. For Tottenham, it's a it's a case for me is that I if you look at the table and you think this is the, his first season in charge yeah. and how they've played within that and yes things have slightly gone their way if you take the Liverpool game in that went their way on that particular day and you could there are a number of other supporters who are making the point of well look at Tottenham's teams they've played they've you know they've they've had a, 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 a you can never say an easy start. They've had a start that's fitted perfectly. I've really enjoyed watching Tottenham this year. I feel like they're a team that play with purpose, ambition, and nearly all of them. They've, I, I said before, Tom, you bring in a new goalkeeper and you bring in a new back four. Mm. That's that's exactly where Newcastle started from. So I do think this team will still do really, really well over the course of a season because he's. My opinion of the game now is that unless you play adventurous football, you're very unlikely to win things because the laws are so against you, you have to play a very brave style. And they are prepared to do that. So I would I would like to think that with even more improvement, that Tottenham are going to be around quite a long time with Ange Postecoglou. Very quick, I'll come back to Tottenham, but I just want a quick word on Nicholas Jackson, Tony. Easiest hat-trick anyone's ever going to get. You'd have taken one of those, wouldn't you? Um, yeah, I, to be fair, I would give him a big thumbs up. And the fact that, was it the first one, the side footer off of Sterling's pass, where he's come on to... Now, that's not... It's a great chance, but it's not as easy to finish as people yeah. think. It's coming across his body, and he sides-foots it past the keeper, Vicario. And I thought, do you know what? That's a good finish for someone who's seemingly been out of sorts. Now, Didier Drogba had a really tricky first season at Chelsea. He and he was... Not as good as Nicholas Jackson, in my opinion. He was on the bench more often than not. And, yeah, they had great squad players. That's play. why they bought Shevchenko. Yeah. They bought because Shevchenko because they didn't think Drogba was, was going to make, make it. You know, mm-hmm. and I was there going to games at that particular time. Week by week, I was at Chelsea. And I remember thinking, you know, that point of Drogba and will he be good enough? And, and of course, history is, was fantastic after that first season. But I do think there's still hope with Jackson because he is a guy that looks like he's going to get chances. Why would he be a complete player? He's only in his early 20s. I thought he was bought to be the player that would play if others weren't. Like, I think Cuckoo getting injured was an issue. Um, they, you know, Mudrick, they, I'm sure they would have thought he'd play more games. So I felt he was going to be a player that was going to be sparingly used in his first season. And they've been forced to play him because of injury. Brojard's got injured. You know, he didn't start the season. So I'm... I'm hopeful it'll come right for him, but he's still very raw because he's a young man trying to develop. But 
I mean, the hat-trick, it can't do you any harm, can it? You know, Chelsea fans have got to be lifted by a guy that, you know, has gone away to Spurs and got a hat-trick. Absolutely. Greg, a final word from you on the match. I think Spurs will take more from this game than Chelsea. I think, like... Even with the injuries, they don't think that actually once the dust has settled and the praise has stopped. That's a different question. I mean, obviously, so you've got Romero out for the, who have they got next? They've got Wolves, Wolves, Villa and City. So you missed those, those three games. Van de Ven, you would expect it'll be a while because it was a proper yeah, hamstring hamming, pop. Yeah. Madison, bit of a doubt over. Richarlison's gone under the knife now. We've said for a while when, you know, there's so, <laughs> if, they, if they lose a couple of players, then that's going to be the real test. But having said all that, Dyer came in, who's completely been out in the cold... Hoiberg's completely been out in the cold and they looked like they were invested in it. They looked like, even though they were playing in this mm. crazy system, mm. that they were really, they you know, they were really invested yeah. in what Postecoglou wanted them to do. So that was, that's positive, even though it's only a, a, a small sample size. Um, I, I, I still think Chelsea, like, when you're playing against nine men for that, that length of time, they looked like, there was no, again, there was no one that was like, let's put a foot in the ball here. And it took Raheem Sterling, actually, to mm. take the initiative to drop deep, say, play it to him. He literally pointed, I think it was to Palmer on the on the mm. touchline. Mm. He said, play it to him, and I'll make the the, the second man run yeah, or the yeah, third man yeah. run. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so it took someone with a bit of experience, a bit of nous, to say, this is how we're not going to get caught offside. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because they just kept punting balls long that, that Vicario was sweeping up. They kept, like, punt, punting them out of play even, or, like, just... Just really well, reckless, not inexperienced Pochettino looking. Pochettino was looking more and more increasingly tense yeah. On, yeah. on the yeah. on the because he could say, "We're not going to win this." I'm not saying he thought they were going to get beat, but he's thinking, "We're not going to. We might not win this." And and you could tell it yeah. was Martin driving him. In there. Imagine, imagine the scenario if Tottenham got two two with nine men. Oh, absolutely. Poch would have been absolutely got pelters from everywhere mm. because they couldn't beat nine men. I think, like you said, he was anxious because that was a possibility, that scenario yeah. of going 2-2. And I, I think the outcome for that would have been disastrous for him. Not in losing his job, but just But it shows what can be achieved. It shows... Well, look, they get beat 4-1, so you can argue, well, it shows what can't be achieved. But it shows what can be achieved with a philosophy because mm. what happened there with Tottenham was... They had a plan, they had a way of playing, they had a strategy, and they stuck to it, and they get beat 4-1. But it looked like there was a plan. It looked like whatever you throw at Tottenham this season, they are going to respond to it in a certain way, and you're going to have your hands full. You're going to have your... And if you look at the other game, the Manchester United game, that is not as apparent with Manchester United at the moment, that... that you know, they respond to something with a clear philosophy. This is how we play. This is what we Which do. Which was their way over Which the years. was their way. There yeah. was a way of Manchester United way of playing that, you know, 3-0 down at Tottenham, uh, you know, famously 3-0 down at Tottenham. I was there that day. There was a Manchester United way of playing that they they didn't alter from that. that this is what we do. This is what we are. Yeah. And this is how we go about it. And the best clubs have that. Although we'll see how Spurs do with... Romero, uh, with Emerson Royal and they are trying to play out from the back or oh. be 2v2 in, oh, the next, in the next game yeah, we'll see, well, we might be saying that's foolhardy Gregor you're finding that with Newcastle aren't you that, that yeah. after a little while as far as injuries are concerned you reach a critical mass yeah. as such at which you, it, it's not possible to 
function as, as you were previously functioning. Well, we'll see if more glorious failure is to come for Tottenham and Ange Postecoglou. No, we don't. We'll save it for next week. Save it for next week. Are you yeah. sure? I'll go you, on then. Because I'll tell you about You're going to anyway, aren't you? Right, yeah. Glorious failure, right? So King Canute, who is remembered as crackers, you know, commanding the sea to go back. He wasn't crackers at all. He was a really, he was a great, great king. And what he was doing, he was trying to explain to his court, far from thinking that he could command the sea to go back, what he was explaining was, I can't command the sea to go back. You think that the king is like a deity, but I'm not. I will sit here and command the sea to go, go back, and it won't work. It won't work because I am not a deity. He's a far more intelligent man than he has ever good, given credit for. Once again, another person we remember as a failure who, who wasn't at all, although his name is spelt K-N-U-T, so it could have been worse, is all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I know, I never, I never liked history at school. I always used to say because you never learn anything new. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've learned a lot today. Yeah, I mean, we've learned a lot about history. Whether the listeners have learned anything about football or not, they can decide for themselves. Get in touch with me, tom.clark at thetimes.co.uk to tell me whether this show has been a huge success or maybe a glorious or, failure. Or you'll never listen again. Maybe glorious failure. Martin Samuel, Tony Cascarino and Gregor Robertson, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on Monday, maybe with some history, who knows, but hopefully or a little maybe bit. maybe we of, won't, who knows. Maybe a little bit of football too. See you then. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.